As we begin together this morning, the very first thing that I want to say very quickly is just thank you to all of you for your many prayers and support. While I've been gone the last couple of weeks out in Portland, Oregon, I will just say to you very, very much that your prayers were incredibly welcomed and felt and appreciated. So thank you so much for that. Uh, there's some information in your pastor page today about some time out there, and we'll be putting things on Facebook. But again, I just want to say thank you. And one of the things I always appreciate about going away is it reminds me how much I miss you all and just look forward to getting back and, and sharing with you and watching God move among us, changing and transforming lives. One of the ways that we have been looking recently and how God is changing our lives and in the process of transforming us is around this question of breathing. And we've been asking a pretty simple question the last couple of weeks, and that is very simply, can you breathe? And it sounds like a simple enough question, and in some ways it is, but we know in reality how hard it is to answer that question, or maybe more accurately, how hard it is to do that question and actually take time to breathe. Because when it comes to our schedules, there's never enough time. When it comes to our relationships, there's never enough depth. When it comes to our time with God, that time is always so stretched, and we just never seem to have enough. We're always so stretched that we can't take a deep breath and breathe. For this series, you might remember there was a quote that we looked at from Pastor Andy Stanley on reminding us of how to breathe. He defines breathing as the space between our current pace and our limits and says that that is the space that determines if we can breathe. So here the space to breathe is that margin between our current pace and our limits. We need some margin in our lives between our pace and those limits. Otherwise, we cannot breathe. And we know this. We, we acknowledge this together. We realize life is better when we can breathe. In fact, we can't live if we can't breathe, obviously. And we serve a God who made the Sabbath so that we can breathe. We serve a God who showed up at Pentecost and gave us God's holy breath through the Holy Spirit so we can breathe. We serve the God that says, do not worry or be anxious about anything, as Pastor DG reminded us last week. This God wants us to be able to breathe. And yet, hardly any of us do it well in all areas of our life. Most of us, in some capacity or another, are stretched to our max, unable to breathe, because we don't have that space between our current pace and our limits. A few weeks ago, we talked about how stretched we are with time, and we don't like it all the time, but we talked about how busy and how rushed we are, and we talked about ways that God can help us breathe in that area of life. But there is another area of life that's not as easy to talk about in specific terms, and yet so many of us find ourselves barely able to breathe around the issue of finances. A few weeks ago, two acquaintances of mine completely unrelated to each other. This was kind of a strange thing. I took it as a, one of those taps on the shoulder from God because these two people didn't know each other at all. They both sent me the same article from a magazine called The Atlantic, and they both just said, hey, you should probably take a look at this. I'm like, okay. I mean, I paid a little attention when my first friend sent it to me. Then my second friend sent it to me. I was like, wow, I, I should really look at this. The name of the article was this, The Secret Shame of Middle-Class Americans. Nearly half of Americans would have trouble finding $400 to pay for an emergency, and I'm one of them, said the author. 
I don't know if you saw this or not, but this was the cover of that magazine article. And among other things, here's what the article shared. And again, you might be thinking, well, this issue of breathing when it comes to finances, it doesn't really relate to me. I can assure you it relates to either yourself or somebody that you know, because here's what the article said. Since 2013, the Federal Reserve Board has conducted a survey to monitor the financial and economic status of American consumers. Most of the data in the latest survey, frankly, are less than earth-shattering. But the answer to one question was astonishing. The Fed asked respondents how they would pay for a $400 emergency. And here was the answer. 47% of respondents said that either they would cover the expense by borrowing or selling something, or they would not be able to come up with the $400 at all. $400, who knew? And then the author says, well, I knew because I'm one of the 47%. Now think about that for just a moment. I know that $400 is a significant amount of money, but to not be able to come up with $400 in any way, any capacity, nearly half of all of us could not do that on the spur of the moment. And it's talking about that whether you make $2,000 a year or $2 million a year. Do you know what that's a description of that I just read? It's a description of no breathing room in our finances. Nearly half the population cannot breathe when it comes to the issue of finances. No margin whatsoever. A few weeks ago, we looked at the issue of time, like I said. We said our time is limited, therefore we must limit what we do with our time. In some ways, money is similar to time in that we realize our money is also limited, just like time. We've only got so much of it. But here's the difference. We have to limit what we do with our time. We don't have the ability to borrow time. But we don't have to limit what we do with money. And I can't, under, I can't overemphasize this enough. Why? Because we cannot borrow time, but we can borrow money and it's called credit. So in borrowing money, we get things we otherwise could not afford, and without management in our finances, what then begins to happen is this. And we looked at this picture a little bit before, but this idea of this overstuffed closet, we're so pushed to the max that everything just begins to spill out, and it's chaotic, and we get lost in the midst of it all, so much so we can't even enjoy what we have. So that every single week or month or year, there's more and more and more financial pressure and buildup. So today, we're going to take a few moments and just talk a little bit about what it means to breathe in regards to our finances. Because again, if it's not us directly, it's our kids, it's our neighbors, it's our family, it's our coworkers. We are surrounded by this issue. When it comes to the issue of finances, the truth is everybody would like to find more ways to breathe. I mean, nobody wants to be strapped when it comes to finances. Nobody wants to be stressed out, maxed out, worried when it comes to finances. But catch this. If we are a Jesus follower, this is absolutely crucial. And we have to listen to this whole issue of breathing when it comes to finances. There is a direct relationship between our ability to follow Christ as Lord of our lives and our willingness to get our financial house in order because Jesus has an awful lot to say about finances. 
As we consider finances in our lives and being able to breathe, we have to realize there is a really big difference between our standard of living and our quality of life. Let me say that again. There's a difference between our standard of living and our quality of life. The two are not the same. Standard of living does not equal quality of life. And how is it that they are different? We raise our standard of living with debt, with borrowing, with getting stuff. But we raise our quality of life with discipline. Now, here's the deal. Most of the time, we like debt more than we like discipline. We have literally bought into the lie that if we eat better, drive better, get a better house, get better clothes, that our life will then be better. Every or almost every advertisement sells us that lie every day. Some of us right now have the highest standard of living we've ever had, the most stuff we've ever had, and we're miserable. We're stressed to the max. We, we argue with our spouses. We're too busy. We're depressed because of financial pressure and stress in our lives. We have more things than ever, but we're not happy about it. So we cannot confuse these two things. Standard of living does not equate to a quality of life. And which one do you think God would prefer for us? We know that God wants us to be able to breathe. So how do we create some of that breathing space and margins when it comes to our finances? We begin by realizing that creating breathing room financially may actually involve lowering our standard of living. Now, our gut reaction to that might be, what? Because it even sounds un-American on this most American of weekends. I mean, what an un-American thing to do, right? To say, wait a minute, you have to give up some stuff? But hang on, <laughs> I promise if we can learn to do that and be disciplined, it will raise the quality of our life. And I want us to catch that. Because here's the thing, all of us at some point, someday, every single one of us is going to come to a place in our lives where we will actually desire quality of life over the standard of living. Right now, some of us are driving a car we really can't afford. Some of us are living in homes we really can't afford. And then once those things happen, it's like we're, we're stuck. We have so much stuff in our closet, lots of it we never even wear. And we say things like, well, I don't have anything to wear to this next event. When in reality, there's people in the world that would look in our closet and say, I would take all of that and wear it till it was threadbare. Some of us are making more money than we ever have before, and we still do not have peace. Because again, we fell for the lie that the higher our standard of living, the greater the quality of our lives, which just is not true. And it's not the advertiser's fault. It's not the merchandiser's fault. It's our fault. And we know this to be true in our lives. And, and how do I know that this is the truth for us? Well, I want to offer a couple financial truths for us here this morning. And these are not exactly going to blow you over, but I just, I just want to name them because these are truths for all of us. Here's the first thing I would say of being a truth for all of us. Number one, every single one of us is living on a percentage of our income. Now, there's no shock in that. You're probably like, well, yeah, big deal. Of course, we're, we're living on some percentage of our income. Here's my question. Do you know what that percentage is that you're living on? 
I'm not talking about even following a budget, but do you know the actual number, the percentage of the income you're living on? Why is that important? It's important because if we don't pick that number, if we don't decide what percentage of our income we're going to live on, our culture will fill it in for us. The mall will pick it for us. The car dealership will pick it for us. Our relationships will pick it for us. You get the idea. Are we picking the percentage that we live on, or is life dictating it to us? We all live on a percentage, but the question is, who's choosing that percentage? Second thing that's common to all of us, we all tend to think, if I just had a little bit more, then I'd be fine. Everything would be fixed. And how many times have we thought that things are so tight, and if we just had a little bit more, then I'd be okay, then I would be able to breathe. And that happens whenever we've allowed life to determine that percentage of what we live on, because otherwise we tend to live right up to the very edge of our means, so much so that we think, if I just had a little more, then I'd be okay. And then the third thing I would say is this. We felt the same way, this idea that if I just had a little more, I'd be okay. We felt the same way when we made less. If 10 years ago, somebody were to come up to you and tell you that you'd be making as much money now as you are compared to 10 years ago, most of us would look at that and be like, oh, that's amazing. My life will be at this incredible place in 10 years, even if it's only a couple hundred dollars more, but in most cases, even if it's thousands of dollars more. You're telling me in 10 years I'll be making that much? Man, I will be on easy street, or at least I'll be able to be breathing at that point. And yet, time moves on, and we find ourselves still so strapped. Why do we do that? because we always just continue spending up to those very edges where there's no margin. And that's marginless, breathing room free living. And it's stressful. In the article that I referred to about half of Americans not being able to come up with $400 in this no room to breathe kind of living, the author says this. He says, I know what it's like to be down to my last $5 literally while I wait for a paycheck to arrive, and I know what it's like to subsist for days on a diet of eggs. I know what it's like to dread going to the mailbox because there will always be new bills to pay, but seldom a check with which to pay them. I know what it's like to tell my daughter I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay for her wedding. It all depended on whether something good happened to me. And I know what it's like to have to borrow money from my adult daughters because my wife and I ran out of heating oil." Do you hear, even as I read that, the lack of breathing room in regards to finances? Do you hear the, the suffocation that comes with that? And I will say that the gentleman who wrote the article makes a very good salary. He put the salary in the article. He's in good shape financially that way. The issue isn't how much he makes, it's how much he spends compared to how much he makes. And he admits that in the article. For you visual learners out here, here's what I'm talking about. We're going to put up a graph here on the screen. It's a graph of money, and it's going to be a graph of time. And so picture the money going up vertically and the time going horizontally. The general idea is this, that generally over time, this isn't always the case, and there can be ups and downs. It's not nearly as smooth as what it looks like there. But the idea is that generally with more time, we make more money. Over the course of our life, maybe it's only a couple hundred dollars, but it could be thousands upon thousands of dollars. And so the income continues to go up. In an ideal world, 
our spending would look like this. And we'll put up graph number two. The spending line would be lower than the income line. And that space between the two, the space between the blue income line and the red spending line, that space in between, that's what we'd say is our breathing room. And in that breathing room, we can say things like, hey, we have enough to take a vacation. Hey, we have enough to help our kids in college. Hey, we have enough here for retirement. Hey, we have enough here that we can be more generous and give more away. And the truth is, again, all of us want this. You don't have to just be a Christian to want this. Everybody wants this. There's no exceptions to that. And the reason is when we have that breathing room between the income and the spending, we get along better with other people. We sleep better. We drive slower. <laughs> There's less rage within us. When we pray, we can actually concentrate because our mind isn't consumed with financial matters. All of us should desire what you see on the screen there before us. All of us should do what we legally can do to get to this place of what you see on the screen. But here's where most Americans are, and here's the last graph I want to show you. Most of us, whatever that income line is, is also where our spending line is. And we allow our income to drive our spending. So we make $45,000, we spend $45,000, or $45,000 and a tiny bit more. And that's where the credit and the debt and other things come in. So here's what this means. If you make something like $250,000 a year, you actually feel the same amount of financial pressure as somebody who makes $25,000 a year if you're spending as much as you make And in fact, sometimes those who make a higher amount, they might even feel more pressure because in general, to find a good, well-paying, high-paying job, you might feel even more pressure to think, where am I going to find another job like this? And the pressure is just so great. So what we see is that when the spending is the same or more than the income, the pressure goes up, the relationships get hard, everyone is stressed and blaming each other, and it's just awful. And then you know what's really crazy in the midst of all of this? We don't even enjoy having the stuff that we set out to get because we're so stressed out. Now, a lot of this makes good sense. A lot of it is practical financial sense. But I want us to keep in mind everything that I've shared so far because there's a very strong God and a very strong spiritual peace in the midst of all of this that I want to make sure we catch. We need to understand that everything we have covered so far leads us to this understanding, that when we are not able to breathe in our financial lives, we become slaves. When we spend as much as we make, we are slaves. Slaves to the banks, slaves to credit card companies. You know, credit card companies aren't bad things. They're not out to get us personally. They're just doing their jobs. Visa, American Express, Discover, you name it. These companies are just doing their jobs. It's not personal in nature. They don't even know we exist. We're just a number to them. That's all we are, but we become their slave. They become our master. And in most cases, we have spent and borrowed our way into slavery. And then when that happens, all of our decisions become financial in nature. 
We can or cannot get that car because of finances. We can or cannot live there because of finances. We can or cannot go to that school because of finances. We can or cannot take a vacation because of finances. On and on and on. Bills and mortgages and car payments and credit card companies, those become the masters that run our lives. We become slaves to folks we don't even know. And then we cannot fund our dreams and giving the way God wants us to give because of this tie down to money. And the more money that we make, sometimes the more stress that we have if we can't learn to spend less than what comes in. And our conversations just go down and down and down. Now, this is a big deal for anyone, but if we are Christians, this is an especially big deal. And I can't say that strongly enough, and here's why. When we open the pages of the New Testament and we see how often Jesus talks about money, we begin to realize we cannot be a sincere follower of Jesus if there's no breathing room in our finances. The idea of living like a slave to all things financial is not okay with Jesus. Jesus predicted this. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus shares this crazy parable about this crazy money lender. There's this dishonest manager who gets caught by his boss, and then before the manager is completely gone, he does something really sneaky. He meets all the people that owe money to his boss, and he basically says, hey, let me strike a deal with you. We're going to cut what you owe the boss in half. Just remember me when I'm in my time of need a little bit later. And then the boss later on praises this guy for his shrewd dealings. It is such a fun parable and story to jump into and explore. We hear that in Luke chapter 16, and then as the, as the chapter's going on, we hear these words in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. We know what it's like to have two masters, and it's awful. Think about when you have those two bosses at work that you have to report to. You can only ever seem to please one. One says one thing, one says another. We can't please both. Or dad says one thing, mom says another. Or we look at the Democrats and the Republicans, and I haven't met too many Republicans who think fondly of the Democrats and vice versa. We just can't seem to find a way to appease both groups. Dad, thank you so much for letting me stay up late. And I can't stand mom. She never lets me stay up late. We're devoted to one and despise the other. That's just how we are so often. And that's the case with these matters. We're naturally going to lean to one master or the other. That's just how we human beings are. So when we hear this story of this money lender and then this manager who has some shrewd dealings, all of a sudden, Almost out of nowhere, Jesus lays out this zinger in chapter 16, verse 13. He says, you cannot serve God and money. Oh, Jesus, you, when you're talking about two different masters, don't you mean you can't serve God and the devil? Nope. That's not what I mean. If you find yourself in a situation where you keep saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, and God is saying to us, I created you to create and be generous and enjoy your relationships with others and to make a difference, but we cannot do those things because there's no breathing room in our finances, then which master are we serving? 
If we find ourselves torn in this situation, torn between devotion to God and to stuff, then which master are we serving? Because at the end of the day, we have to choose. This is so important as a Christ follower. If money is our master, because we have borrowed and spent our way into slavery, if money is our master, when we open Scripture and we say, I know that Jesus said to do this, but Visa won't let me, or the mortgage company won't let me, if we can't do those things because of finances, then we're not following Jesus as Lord and Master. We're not. And we can't then help but worry. And Jesus said, don't worry (laughs) either. But we've gotten ourselves into this mess. For many of us, because we haven't saved, or we haven't been careful, we haven't been disciplined. We've just looked around and done what the rest of our neighbors have been doing. So then we come to a place like this, and we love the baptisms, and we love the singing, and we love the organ, and we love having the ability to get online if we need to, and and we love all of these things, and we love our family being here, but then when it comes down to us sharing in this kingdom and giving towards it, well, God, I want to, but I can't. And then Jesus is not our master, because money has become our master, Money is our master when either financially we cannot or because of a lack of generosity in our hearts, do not give. We cannot love and serve and be compassionate and forgive and focus on others when all the focus is on us because we're so tied up to this master of finances. It's hard to look out there when our whole focus is in here. So church, as Christians, this is a spiritual matter. It's a really big deal because breathing room in our finances is a lordship issue, period. It's a discipleship issue, period. It's so important. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of discipleship. We must create financial breathing room. Maybe some of us here, we've got lots of breathing room. Great then let us reflect it in the ways that we interact with God and with others. Or let us help those who we know are not able to breathe so much financially. Because remember, God wants us to be driven by the quality of life, not our standard of living. So we can talk about this all day. But before we leave, perhaps it would be good to give ourselves at least a few, few tools to take with us. How exactly do we create breathing room in our finances? I'm going to give you three super quick, super easy steps, and I'm just going to warn you, this isn't new. It's not flashy. It's not entertaining. But sometimes we just need reminders of how to get a handle on this kind of thing. And again, you get this. You already know this. So number one, three quick steps to help us breathe better financially. Number one, just decide. I mean, you don't have to say it out loud. I'm tempted to say, hey, just say the word decide. But You just have to decide to do this. It's not about the difficulty. It's about the discipline. We know how to do it. It's like exercise. This is not complicated. We just have to decide to do it. We have to get so mad, so frustrated, so disgusted, so tired of serving a different master and Lord than Jesus Christ that we just say, all right, God, this is it. I put my mark in the sand from this point forward. I decide to follow you and I ask for your discipline to help me make the right choices to move forward. 
I will not take no for an answer anymore. So we decide. From this point forward, God, pray for your help in some breathing room. Number two, spy on your money for two months. Everybody should be knowing where their money is going. Now, why do I say two months? Maybe you have a pretty good idea, but Jen and I have done this for a long time. It's absolutely amazing. I generally know 60, 70, 80% where our finances are going, but then when we look for two months and we map it out, I'm like, oh, some's going there. Oh, some's going there. Oh, some's going there. And I will admit to you, Jen is really helpful with this in our own life. Uh, She helps us really stay on track with this, especially those of you who are tech savvy. There's apps out there that are helpful for this. But I encourage you, just, just start to look and track where money is going, and you might be surprised at what you discover. If we are Christians, we believe that everything belongs to God, that we are stewards of what God has given us, and that in this short lifetime that we have, that we have to use those resources to the best of our ability. When we spy for two months on our finances, we see where the finances are actually going. And then lastly, number three, again, not complicated, not shocking, but number three, then we learn to cut our spending somehow, some way. And we cannot cut our spending till we know where the money is going. Remember that I want is way better than I owe. I want that house is way better than I owe on that house. And that statement goes to the heart of American insanity that we so often buy ourselves into. Let us not be fooled today. A chief competitor of our heart is not always the devil. It's stuff, money, finances. Jesus knew this. And Jesus died so that we could spend eternity with him. But eternity starts right now, with Jesus as master and Lord of our life right now, especially in this area of finances, so that we can experience the highest quality of life possible. So today and this morning, I invite us to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Master. And I pray that with God's help, we will decide that we'll spy on our money, and that we'll cut out whatever extra things we need to so that we can learn to breathe, breathe, breathe. By the grace of God, in all areas of life, we can breathe deeply. Amen.